Hello, welcome back to Building Blue Zones podcast. This is episode five, how to extend your life expectancy with food, the longevity diet. I am DeMarco Gaddy, and this is your co-host here as well, Nick Falkowitz. That's right. Nick, why don't you introduce yourself for this podcast? I think it's important you do so. Yeah. So, uh... Uh, before we really dive in deep, because this is obviously on nutrition, which is a very complex topic, um, I know DeMarco spent like literally a week and a half just like going super hard, diving really deep into a lot of different um, diverse nutrition, I guess, topics and different studies, different podcasts, all that stuff to figure out kind of uh, what was the most beneficial um, diet overall for longevity and um, for me myself I've spent about seven years um, uh, from undergrad all the way to graduate school in nutrition specifically so uh, yeah so just to let you guys know this is not going to be like we we looked at one study and and tried to like talk what we think through our opinions what right. this is important for nutrition but this is actually a lot of fact-based nutritional findings um, through multiple studies through a long period of time. Yeah, nutrition was super interesting for me. I mean, it's always been interesting to me, and I've always, you know, wanted to eat healthy and you know have that as a goal, you know. But it, it's so complicated; it really is. Mm -hmm. Like, and it seems like there's been a lot of. Um, in the studies themselves, there's been a lot of uh, foul play in, you know, the industry getting involved in the studies and stuff right. like that and sponsorships, uh, which we'll kind of get into a little bit. But it's just it was hard to determine what was real uh, and yeah. what was important in the research itself and what wasn't. And there's just America's just so obsessed with diet. There's just people everywhere that are just putting out information and it's not necessarily backed by any factual information right. no no data no no long-term experiments or studies so right um we didn't do that we tried to get real studies people that have spent you know a long time their whole lives or their lives on this on, yeah. this, on this stuff so yep. jumping right in we're gonna today we're gonna talk about nutrition and how important how important it is so how um, important is it? It's pretty Marco? important, man. It's pretty important. I would say it's probably a poor a poor diet can mm -hmm. be considered the leading cause of of death in America, um, and it's also the best preventer of yeah. an early death. It seems like from the studies. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So, especially uh, chronic disease burden. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, can you get into a little bit about um, like what the the biggest um, I guess killer is in America right now? Yeah, so that would be cardiovascular disease, and then that's strictly followed by number two, which would be cancer. Right. And so obviously nutrition plays into both of those. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of different schools of thought on how much it actually plays into cancer, but. Um, we, we can get into that a little right. bit later. But for cardiovascular disease specifically, there's been a lot of linkages um, of how nutrition can actually affect that. And that's right now the number one killer in America. Right. 
So not only are we going to talk about how to increase your life expectancy, we're going to talk about um, weight loss, mostly because it's the same diet, essentially. And also because if you're listening to this and you live in the U.S., there's a 67% chance you're either overweight or obese. Um, so it's honestly not your fault, uh, or at least not completely your fault. You see, the last 50 years, prevalence of obesity has increased throughout the U.S. adult population um, among men and women in all ethnic groups and ages, educational, and so socioeconomic uh, levels. While the entire population seems to be getting heavier each year, there is evidence that obesity affects some subgroups in the population to a greater extent than others. Absolute rates are higher than um, those with low incomes and low education levels. Mm. So this suggests that the gap among socioeconomic strata for obesity rates may be closing. But when we look closer, this makes complete sense. This is around the 1970s. Um, where processed foods are being widely produced and consumed, and they're offered at much cheaper rates than some of the healthier options, the, the farmed foods, the mm -hmm. organic, the natural foods um, that we've evolved to eat and our bodies have evolved to be able to um, break down and right. have natural processes. Yeah. Um, so fast foods are also immediately available for people who work long days and don't have time to, to make their meals, which we would argue that they do have time. It's just not a priority, which we talked about in our last episode. Um, also, the quantity of food has increased dramatically in the same period with packaging and these types of foods eating that actually stimulates appetite and doesn't really you're, – you're eating a much more dense um, in terms of energy – based like uh, the, the density of the calories are, are much higher. Replacing nutrient dense foods with, um, with also with sedentary lifestyles creates the perfect storm for weight gain, which uh, we know is linked to the most prevalent costly medical problems seen in our country, including type two diabetes, hypertension, uh, coronary artery disease, and many forms of cancer and cognitive dysfunction. Right. So, well, first step to solve the first step to solve any problem is have a basic understanding of what's happening. Um, education, nutrition is taught very little um, in our public schools, and even our medical doctors don't get a basics in uh, of nutrition. Uh, and we see this. A lot of doctors will actually talk about this: their lack of knowledge, and obviously mm -hmm. they they tend to stay away from suggesting diet first and we'll just suggest medicine because they don't have that knowledge to um, to really supplement it. Right. They're also funded by pharma. Right. So. Right. Also doctors a, a make problem. money versus like on how much they actually prescribe. Right. So that is another I guess incentive for doctors to dive deep into that, thinking that that's actually um, the answer is curing something rather than preventing it in the first place. Right. Uh, because that's how they were taught. In med school, there's, I mean, I have a ton of friends that have been in med school. Uh, they only go through one nutrition class. It's like one semester long. And that's it. Wow. And so for my grad program, obviously, is uh, nutritional sciences, which is essentially biochemistry of how food is digested in your body, how food works, 
molecular structures of food um, and how that all ties into health. Right. Uh, and so, you know, they get literally a snippet of that crammed into one semester. And let's be honest, when you have to cram for anything, you don't really comprehend it that well in right. one semester. Like, I took a semester of calculus. I couldn't tell you how to do a derivative equation right now because I only took one semester of it. And I know you do because <laughs> you took more than one semester of calculus probably. But um, I could tell you the difference between HDL and LDL, and I can tell you what the molecular structure makeup is. Um, and most doctors or uh, most physicians might not be able to go more in depth for the biochemistry and actually explain um, the mechanics of that stuff. Right. I mean, that's that's just a systemic problem like that, that that they don't dive deep into that because you know whatever the case may be whether it's financially from the you know from the industry standpoint the pharmacy standpoint it's a problem especially when they've proven to have all the, the that nutrition can have all these preemptive benefits um, mm -hmm. to decrease the risk of all these diseases it's like what's going on here you know it's 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 a problem right but even when you look at the studies um, it seems like there's foul play like I was saying saying yeah. earlier these these a lot of these studies are sponsored by these food industries um, you know and maybe not even just food industries maybe it's you know the people that are um, doing the uh, chemicals and stuff like that for for all of the grains and stuff it's there's a lot of different industries that are involved in the food process but they all can benefit by putting out falsified false information so or skewed i mean or skewed. at least skewed right yeah they you can skew data pretty easily pretty easily so. and no one's that's also the problem is you know, people are reading maybe just the summaries and not diving deep into the actual data. But one study suggests that as much as 90% of the studies that were funded by the food industry came up with outcomes that favor their sponsor's interests. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they're false or skewed. It's just 90% is really high. That's, yeah. that's pretty strange. Uh, I don't know if it's I'm not going to say anything. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. But also, that study, who can trust that study? I don't, right. know, I don't know who's sponsoring that study. Can you even trust the, that study? The, that study? Can I trust that study? Bottom line is that... Studies are all false. That's yeah. They're, don't, don't believe anything you hear. <laughs> don't believe Unless anything. Unless it's a podcast. From and anybody. believe it all yeah. the time. Yeah. But it's from a podcast, so obviously. Um, no, it's... True information. So this is another thing, too, like... I like to say that I got a master's in deciphering critical research information because yeah. literally that's what we got tested on all the time is how to decipher um, credible research articles from non-credible articles. And they, exactly what you just said, you have to check the funding sources, you have to check the authors, you have to check um, the dates even. Right. If it's more than two years old in academia, it's actually no longer relevant, right. especially in nutrition, because nutrition has just there's just mounds is, of data that comes through all the right, time. Right, right. Unless you have consistent studies, hundreds of thousands. There of are, studies there are if there's year. consistent studies done, um, like let's say in the 1970s, and they're still showing the same exact findings now, 
then that could be a credible study because it's over long term. Right. But if you just have one study uh, in 2010 saying that eggs are healthier and this is why, or eggs are unhealthy and this is why, and there's no other studies that have say the same thing, then that's very tough to actually say that, okay, this is actually a true finding. Well, that's funny that you say that because that's kind of the the cherry picking thing. And I think that's going along with the, the two sides, the the meat eater and the vegetarian, yeah. uh, they both are, you know, picking these, cherry picking these studies and not really showing all of the confounding evidence and, and studies that are correlated. I mean, one study can find something that's just completely not true or, you know, you could take two studies that are on the same topic and they can have completely different results just because, you know, statistical outliers or whatever um yeah. but so i think the the cherry picking thing is a problem and and the as much data as you can have and as much studies you can have and reoccurring studies with the same outcome is really what you want to to lean towards right. that that's where we become that's where we learn factual science is when we have mm -hmm. replicated studies and replicated outcomes yeah Exactly, um, and it's easy to do. It's easy to cherry pick. Yeah, I know you got to get to your next point, but it's easier to cherry pick because all you have to do is Google something, and the first thing that pops up, oh, okay, oh, this must be right. Yeah, I do. I do that all the time. <laughs> and then I'm like, hold on, hold on. This next article says the exact opposite thing. <laughs> so it's frustrating, but yeah. it's it's worth. And it this is time. worth diving into because, you know, it's arguably the most important choice you make is what you put in your body. So um, we're going to do the research and continue to do the research and summarize it and give it to you guys. But there's also great resource, resources that we'll plug at the end right. of people that do this mm -hmm. as for their life. I mean, they literally that, do thousands of research yeah, we articles, both love, thousands of research yeah. articles every yep, year. Yeah, and they're both very credible. Like, not both, but all of the resources we're going to share are very credible. Right. Um, individuals who have dedicated their lives to this stuff so yeah so to jump in i think the best way that we could break uh nutrition down mm -hmm. um yeah. from a standpoint of people wanting to know okay what should i be eating how should i be eating it um and how can i lose weight it, the real basics um to dive into is really i feel like is calorie intake quality of food and like when you're eating it, yeah, um, and that's like the best breakdown. And we're gonna gonna try to keep it as simple as possible um, as we go through these. But uh, I think that's the best way to do it. So tell Agreed. us about calorie density and maybe satiety a little bit. Yeah, uh, definitely. And so I completely agree. I think this is like the best way to basically simplify these complex topics and right. not scare people away. Um, you did say help people lose weight. We're not just promoting that. If you're trying to gain weight, this will work oh, for yeah. that too. True. So, yeah. um, all right, let's dive into caloric density or calorie intake. Um, so what foods are going to be naturally high in calories versus what foods are going to be naturally low in calories think about it very simply so there's nutrient dense foods 
Should I get a prop for this? Yeah. There's nutrient-dense foods. I'll get a prop for this. <laughs> no. There's nutrient-dense foods, and there are there's going to be uh, energy-dense foods. And so, very simply put, there's two categories of foods out there. What does an energy-dense food looks like? Uh, what does it look like? A pound cake would be an energy-dense food. Mm. It is very high in sugar, very high Bad in cake. calories. <laughs> or a nothing bunt cake. Mmm, yum. You've never had that, have you? No, I haven't. Oh. I don't know what either of those things are. Okay. Uh, anyway, so a nothing bunt cake is a, it's a company here. Very famous cake. They're very moist cakes. Anyway, uh, they're delicious. But they're very energy-dense. They're not nutrient-dense. They don't have much nutrients. It's mostly just sugar. And so anything processed is going to be very um, much leaning towards the spectrum of energy dense. Mm -hmm. Whole foods are going to be leaning towards the spectrum of nutrient dense. Another way you can think about it is uh, higher the fiber, the higher the nutrient, and the lower the fiber, the higher the uh, energy density. And the reason being is because volume which is created with fiber fiber is zero calories it's literally just a, a space filler that is what actually leads to um that's what's going to lead to nutrient dense foods because naturally fibrous foods are going to be um whole foods which right. have more nutrient and then you'll have if you have a ton of fiber then it's not necessarily a energy dense food because it's not going to be that energy dense, it's not going to be super dense. It's going to be more light. Yeah. We see the same scale on natural foods too. You have the high fiber foods like, uh, and the high water content foods like, you know, celery, broccoli, the, the high <laughs> vegetative uh, kind of high fiber foods. And so those are going to be very low calorie dense. And then you shift over to the carbohydrates mm -hmm. and then you get into the fats and those will start to increase in caloric density. Yep. Um, so it's important to note that this doesn't just happen in processed foods, but also in whole, holistic foods. Right. But you can, but obviously, the the processed foods are, you know, they're gonna be they're they're worse for you. Yeah. Clearly. Just which at we'll the talk end of about the day. Quality. Um. Now satiety. Some people might be wondering, what does satiety mean? It just means um, satiation or satisfaction uh, in terms of hunger or in terms of um, eating something. Right. So if you're satiated or if you feel satiety, it means you're satisfied with what you just ate. You're, you're no longer hungry. You no longer have that craving. That's all that that means. So uh, what causes satiety? Well, there are actually two receptors and two hormones that get produced in your stomach and go up to your brain. The first one's gonna be ghrelin. And so when your stomach, you can think about it like growling or growling. <laughs> so, so dumb. I think you're uh, supposed to say growling. I think that's what it's called. Uh, Is that where growling came from? Maybe. Um, so when your stomach shrinks and it naturally growls, you can think of ghrelin Ghrelin is the actual hormone that goes up to your brain telling you to eat because you're hungry. And that's why you can actually feel the growling. You can actually feel your stomach being hungry, quote unquote, because of ghrelin. <laughs> okay, and, and I'll tell you why you're probably feeling it all the time. It's actually really interesting. 
Um, so I'm starting to nerd <laughs> out. I'm starting to nerd out a little bit. All right, I'm but sorry. Stick leptin, to it. Yeah, so leptin is actually going to be produced when you're full, and it's because when your stomach expands, leptin, the hormone leptin is going to be secreted. It's going to go up to your brain. It's going to tell you that you're full. You no longer need to eat. Now, the reason why you probably feel hungry more often than not is because you have a lower body fat. And I know that's going to sound really weird, but the higher your body fat content, it actually studies, a ton of studies have shown that if you have, if you're obese or if you're overweight, you actually, um, you're actually not able to, it's, it's kind of like a weird cycle. So you're not able to actually um, take in your leptin receptors. So like the leptin is inhibited, which should mm-hmm. mean that if you're overweight, you're more hungry more often. But the actual thing is that it, you don't produce that much ghrelin when you're overweight, but you don't get satisfied as easy. Mm. So when you do get hungry and you do eat, so you it's actually almost like a mind, Yeah, it's like a mindless eating. You're not doing right. it because you're actually getting the receptors, but you're doing it because it's like habitual or... Yep, and like, so uh, it's, it's almost, it's almost like, like an addiction thing. Right, situation. and so for you, you might get ghrelin more often because you just have a higher metabolism but you probably get satisfied quicker as well because right. your leptin receptor, your leptin yeah. hormone is telling uh, your brain really quickly that, okay, I've ate enough volume, I'm full. Right. Also another reason why you're probably getting that is because... Um, I eat high fibrous foods and they get metabolized faster. Well, uh, you're not eating super dense foods. Yeah. It will fill you up, but I mean, how often do you get that feeling? Probably like every two or three hours, I'm yeah. assuming, which is pretty normal. Right. That that just means you're not overeating when you're eating. Yeah. And what it does mean is that you're expanding your stomach, you're getting full, but it's with mostly vegetables. And so that can be broken down quicker than eating two chicken pot pies. Yeah. You know? No, I definitely feel like um but it's not it's also not a feeling that's so demanding. Like I, I used to do when I used to eat a lot of meat, mm-hmm. it was like if I didn't eat Yeah every two hours really or three hours it was like I couldn't take it almost but I've I've I think the the diet I'm on now I can I might get that feeling but it's not a conquer it's not like a overwhelming feeling it's yeah you don't just get like a you don't get as hangry yeah yeah exactly mm-hmm. um oh yeah. what, what did I want to say so, so those are the that's basically what causes satiety yeah oh you want different ways to reach it Different ways to reach the time. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the bulk. Um, like the there's two different ways, like you were saying. The two the two largest is the feeling, mm-hmm. right? And then, but the I think the best way to reach it is high water density, where you're you're having a lot of foods that are. I'm saying the best way, is high water and then high fiber. Yeah. I don't know if you touched on that already, but no. yeah. So I think the best, just a little plug for the, the, I think the, the optimal way to get from, from a caloric standpoint, a caloric density standpoint is the foods that are high in water content and high in fiber content. And then nutrient content is the, the third, you know, best option, obviously. But if you're trying to, for, for losing weight, you want to choose foods that are bulky because they're, you're going to get that satisfaction feeling. They're going to take up a lot of space, yeah. but they're lower in calories. Right. So. Okay. 
let's yeah, let's let's move on <laughs> to the next. This I can already tell. This we're we're want, trying to be consistent with like thirty five minutes or less for episodes. That yeah. I can already tell this one's probably gonna go over. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I I need to stick to. <laughs> to the script here and not go off on tangents that's my fault I mean so, this is just definitely gonna we're gonna obviously have a lot of episodes about right. nutrition because yeah. it is so important and there's so much and people have so many questions we're just about skimming it. the surface yeah. really but alright let's get into food quality a little bit so and I already talked about this a little bit but I'll just go really quickly here rapid fire um, energy dense foods versus nutrient dense foods already touched on that Let's go into complex carbs versus simple carbohydrates. Yeah. That's really important to talk about. Mm -hmm. So complex carbohydrates are going to be um, higher in nutrients, different different facets of nutrients, different types of vitamins. Right. Um, and that's what's basically going to make up a, a complex carb. Like at its roots, that's the simplest form to explain it. Uh, also, that's coincidentally, are you seeing a pattern here? A whole food. Right. So that's what makes up a complex carb. So like, uh, you know, like farro or, uh, you know, oats that haven't been refined in any right. way, that's going to be a complex carbohydrate um, versus a simple carbohydrate, which is going to be a processed food. So a simple carb would obviously be uh, that dense cake that I was talking about earlier because it's super processed, it's high in sugar, um, and that's what you really want to stay away from. Complex carbs that's are very good. Yeah, uh, another really good example of a complex carb that people might not think of, any vegetable. <laughs> any vegetable. Literally. I know, everyone thinks of carbs as like... As like grains. Yeah, grains or but potatoes it's not, or... That's not the case. Fries. Uh, like, uh, carbohydrate ratio in vegetables is very high, but it's complex carbs, so they're good for you. Simple carbs are not good for you. Those are where you get from like your crackers, any, any literally any processed... Right. Any process and the simplest or way you can think of the simplest way I think to break this down is, I think a lot of people get confused with the whole carb situation, uh, and you know how it works in your body. Very simply put, do eat whole whole natural carbs because mm -hmm. they're good for you. Yeah. And don't eat the processed carbs because they're not good for you. Right. Simplest way put. Yeah. Exactly. And then uh, we already touched on fiber. Obviously, you want to eat, you know, high fiber. Yeah. The, the higher fiber in your diet, the better, generally speaking. Right. Um, I don't know if there's a toxicity with fiber because it's not soluble, which basically means that you can't really digest it. What fiber is really good for is, one, absorbing calories. So you actually get um, more of a calorie restriction with fibrous foods. But uh, number two, it's actually very good for um, your GI tract. It cleans it out. Um, you're less irritable to GI tract diseases or infections um, or just being irritable in general. So that's why. Yeah, really I think that's, and I think that's been a big, bigger issue in recent years. I feel like GI issues, or at least I've heard maybe from a standpoint, I don't know if this is, um, you know, documented anywhere, but I've, I know a lot of people with GI issues, and I feel like that's been increasing lately. And I think it's because mm. people aren't getting that mm -hmm. high fiber diets, those high fiber diets anymore. That's a really so, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. All right, so now we we just touched on uh, calorie intake, right, and then food quality. And so the next thing I want to just touch on really briefly before um, you bring us home 
is the timing of when you eat. So uh, obviously there are a lot of different schools of thought on this. Intermittent fasting, total fasting, no fasting at all, eating for 16 straight hours, eating for six hours. Yeah. There's so many different facets. There's so many different studies that have been done. Um, the most important thing that we found and the most consistent thing that we found for studies long-term that have been studied over you know multiple years and they're very consistent in their findings are that you want to actually eat early in the morning uh, and you want to eat earlier at night, meaning you want to be done three to four hours yeah. before you go to bed, generally speaking, and you want to eat early in the morning and have a window of about 12 hours total. So Dr. Longo, and we're going to link him in this, yeah. um, he's actually studied nutrition pretty much his whole entire career, all, yeah. actually all of his career. Yeah, his entire career. Um, and longevity, what's the purpose of it, you know, how do we get to longevity? He court he works directly with um, the Blue Zones founder, yeah, and so um, you know he deals specifically with that, and through the studies that he's shown, uh, twelve hours is actually more beneficial than fourteen to sixteen hours, and so he actually suggests trimming down uh, to two meals plus a snack if you're trying to lose weight, versus his usual recommendation of three meals and a couple snacks per day, um, rather than going down to six hours of eating. He just says, eat less calories, don't shorten the window. And uh, the reason being, uh, this is the most important reason, people that actually do intermittent fasting, studies have been out and people just don't mention it, that intermittent fast, they look great short term, and they're like, yeah, this is great, I feel great. Long term, it's actually very bad for your gallbladder. Your gallbladder is something that produces bile salts, bile salts break down your fats, if you can't break down fat in your stomach, and by the way, bile salts are the only thing that can do that, then uh, basically you're going to live a very miserable life after your gallbladder gets removed. Right. And so people that do intermittent fasting that um, fast for 16 hours or 14 to 16 hours or, or do those plus. really long ones where this, that right. guy's doing those water, or those water fasts that are 40 days. Yep, and that's straight. They're doing this consistently every day. When you do that, that's when you can run into complications with gallbladders being removed. If you don't eat early in the morning, it studies have linked that to yeah. okay. Studies have linked that um, to higher rates of uh, of cardiovascular disease as well as cancer and other things because your stress is actually higher when you don't eat in the morning. Yeah, I think we're probably gonna have to do a pod about that at some point, mm -hmm. uh, just because so many people have so many questions about it and. Um, I think it's important to dive into it, but um, anyway, so how do you eat healthy, Nick? You want to take us home? This is, uh, I think the most, I think the best thing to do is just go with someone that's done the research, so we're, we're leaning yeah. on Dr. Longo for his um, consolidated summary about what a healthy diet is, because it, it is for longevity purposes. And he's not only tested all these diets in trials, and but he's also looked at blue zones and has seen that this is the diet that is consistent throughout blue zones, yeah. which is blue and zones again are those centurion um, societies, people that live the longest in the right. world and have the healthiest lifestyles. So.
Right. And he's done a ton of studies just on this in general. Yeah. On um, on human, he's done human trials. He's also done a bunch of animal testing, animal trials um, that have shown these these findings. And so, yeah, I can definitely dive into that. So he is actually saying that there's seven main points. A few of these we've already touched over, but just to be really concise, he is saying, you know, how do we eat healthy for um, the normal goer is actually mostly vegan, plus a little bit of fish, um, if you can, uh, limiting meals with fish to a maximum of uh, two or three times per week. Uh, and when you want to do that, you want to do obviously fish and seafood that's going to be very high in omega-3, omega-6s, vitamin B12 content is going to be very high as well. If you don't know where to find those foods, you can just Google them. Those nutrition <laughs> facts are going to be correct. <laughs> I promise you, there's not a whole lot of um, differentiation between nutrition facts of foods. Yeah. So that you can just Google. <laughs> but there might be a couple links that's like uh, the Bubba yeah. Tuna put out. That <laughs> Bubba <laughs> like, Tuna. <laughs> no, but is it Bubba Gum? Gubba Shrimp? I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. And, and pay attention to the quality of fish that you're getting as well. Make sure they have low levels of mercury. Um, again, you can just Google this kind of stuff. Yeah, and make sure you know they're sustainable, sustainable sourced fish as well. Like some of these. Uh, what would you suggest for that? Well, some of these farming, uh, I would suggest you know natural ocean caught fish, or um, at least you can find a sustainably farmed fish. There's a lot of farmed fish that are open ocean and they're mm-hmm. just the way they do it is very damaging to the the um, structures of yeah the environment and you know specifically in that area it really damages that ecosystem so um, it's just it's tough and it but the best thing to do is not eat a ton of fish which is what this diet is suggesting yeah so uh, next, number two, so that was number one. Number two is actually if you're below the edge of 65, keep your protein intake low. Um, so, you know, basically, if you calculate it correctly, the average for, you know, a woman, a woman weighing, a woman, a woman yeah, <laughs> uh, a woman weighing, you know, 130 pounds or less is going to be, you know, 40 to 47 grams of protein per day, which is, not a lot. Most people eat two to three times that, uh, or most women do. And then for males, it's about uh, you know sixty to seventy grams of protein per day. Uh, if you're weighing, weighing anywhere from you know like one hundred and fifty to two hundred uh, pounds. And so if if you're going to be over sixty five, then you should probably increase your protein intake. And he, Dr. Longo, said that. Studies have shown that um, these low protein diets have not done anything to diminish your your actual muscle until you reach age 65 and then it's a huge drop off and you start um, losing muscle quickly. And so he actually suggests that um, you increase your protein intake when you get to that age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that could be you know, various, fish, eggs, yeah. white meat, other products uh, that you could get, um, you know, high amounts of protein from so that's that's one really interesting finding that I didn't even know about until I um, kind of dove more into Dr. Longo and you sent me some of the stuff for him 
Okay, so number three would be minimizing your saturated fats from animal and vegetable sources, which is kind of a given, right? So meats and cheeses, and then uh, also minimize your sugar as well and maximize your good fats. So a really good example of a good fat, it's because it's polyunsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Um, anything coming from nuts or uh, vegetables or fruits, anything um, that's going to be coming from oils that are Yep. That are, it, so a good rule of thumb is that if the oil is solid at room temperature, then it's going to be a saturated fat. If it's uh, liquid at room temperature, then it's going to be an unsaturated fat. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of studies going into why that's important to have those good fats. Um, that, so one great example is an avocado. Mm -hmm. Avocados are amazing. They're high in mono, mono unsaturated fats. Uh, and they just have, uh, and they're, they're very nutrient dense and they've got uh, a good amount of calories, but it's healthy calories. So right. we should get into an episode of the benefits of fat. Benefits of fat. Yeah. yeah, we can do that. I'm down for that. Uh, okay. So that was number three. Number four is to follow a diet with high vitamin and mineral content again, and supplemented, uh, with a multivitamin buffer every three days um that depends on that's if what you're eating strictly vegan and yeah so if, i mean there's some things that you're not going to completely get from a vegan diet um that yeah. you don't necessarily it's hard to say but um vitamin b12 yeah b12 is the biggest one i would the, say yep yep uh there's some other um metals and metals, minerals right. that you might not get from a vegan diet um, and now, is it completely detrimental to your health? Probably can not. Be, can be over time, which is why they, they, he suggests doing a multivitamin. Moral of the story is if you're going to be going on a vegan diet or, or a pescatarian diet, like we say, it's probably good to have a nutritionist on your side right. to, to help you out with that stuff because uh, you can be on a vegan diet and it can actually be very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing or you could be on a vegan diet and actually eat completely unhealthy. Eat crap and eat processed foods and say look I'm on a vegan diet I'm not eating meat and yeah. you're actually gaining weight and it's it's fat you're just gonna look like a blob yeah because you're not gaining any muscle and you're you're just gaining like fat and everything's gonna look loose and everything's <laughs> gonna look <laughs> um I'm just saying okay I've seen people do this and it, it's not a good like eating Oreos technically is vegan Oreos are completely vegan yeah that doesn't mean it's okay well, they're one of the highest Oreos. density foods that we were yeah. talking about earlier yeah. okay caloric density all right um, so yeah, multivitamin if needed. Most people, most young, healthy adults uh, should not need a multivitamin at all. All right, next number five: uh, select ingredients among those discussed in this book. That have your answer. Your would have eaten. So he has a book, um, and we're gonna link it in here. And so he's saying to select ingredients that are going to be discussed in the book um, that your ancestors would have eaten so that's going to be all whole foods yeah for the most part yeah that he's talking about right uh which so, i would suggest getting yeah definitely really good mm -hmm. uh and then here we go uh this is more for being awareness of it like being self-aware uh he's saying based on your weight this is number six and your age and your abdominal circumference because that does matter 
decide whether uh, to have two or three meals per day. If you're overweight and uh, tend to gain weight easily, then consume two meals a day. Uh, breakfast and either lunch or dinner plus two low sugar, less than five grams of sugar snacks uh, with fewer than 100 calories each. Uh, if you're already at a normal weight and uh, you tend to lose weight easily or are over the age of 65 and are at a normal weight, eat three meals a day uh, and one low sugar, less than three to five grams snack with fewer than 100 calories. You can I, I say you could even do two snacks if you wanted to. If that prevents you from eating four meals, then I would say do two snacks. Um, yeah, it's really just you don't want to, if you have that urge I'd rather you eat a low-calorie snack than to eat this huge meal. It's always better to do that and yeah. satisfy your hunger. Which can be eat. fruit. Right. Low-calorie snack. It totally. Just like be that. fruit. Yeah. Um, and then number seven, last one, he says, confine all eating to within a 12-hour period like we said earlier. Um, for example, if you, start, if you start after 8 a.m., then you need to end before 8 p.m. Uh, don't eat anything within three to four hours of bedtime, which we explained earlier right. in the podcast. And so the, again, these are suggestions that he has found. These seven suggestions are what Dr. Longo has found in his studies over the course of his lifetime um, to be the most beneficial for increasing your longevity of not just your health, but also um, weight loss and just overall making you feel better Yep, in day to day. All right, cool. That wraps it up for this podcast, I think. But we'll definitely continue to dive into uh, nutrition more, and you know, get into some of the nuanced diets, and maybe do some pros and cons at some point. Yeah, feel free to ask any questions. Yeah, uh, I would sure. love to do an episode where we actually just spend the majority of the time answering questions and maybe debunking um, some common myths that are out there that people are following, like yeah. the intermittent fasting diet. Hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and uh, we appreciate your support, and we will catch you on the next podcast. Yep. Peace.